Ephesians this evening. We're looking forward to this. Uh, I know that last Wednesday we had a off from the study as we had our sweetheart banquet last week. And so I'm going to spend just about two to three minutes in the front end with a bit of a review as we continue to look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 6. Uh, tonight we'll be getting into verses, um, uh, I think we're going to finish up actually with uh, 4 through 6 tonight or 3 through 5, either one. So here we are, if you will, Ephesians in chapter 1 and looking in verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the, th- to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. When we finished up two weeks ago, in our study, guys, as we begin to look at where we were, uh, we, we, were look, we were finishing up with two verses. One that I took out of Romans chapter 5, verse 9, and then Romans chapter 10 uh, and verse 9. And we're not gonna, we won't go back over those, we'll have, have you to turn. But in Romans 5, 9, the word now is used. We were addressing the idea of predestination. We we're addressing the thought of it before the foundation of the world. And we, have, we know that Calvinism attacks this particular chapter. They use it as an anchor chapter, if you will, to teach people that you were chosen, that your name and your salvation was predestined and that you had no free will whatsoever concerning that salvation from before the world began. They actually teach, but let's use the, what the Bible says, the foundation of the world. Now, the problem with that is Romans 5.9 uses the phrase now, which shows that that was something different than moments ago. Romans 10.9 says, If, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If is a small word with a very large meaning. It is a conditional clause, okay? Uh, it's a pretense verse in chapter 5, verse 9 in Romans. So something changed, meaning your conversion now which has to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your condition, in Romans 10, 9, is your confession, not your chosen state before sin was paid for in full. Now, guys, we understand this by common sense. But if we're going to teach Ephesians verse by verse, we have to deal with the aspect of of those out there who are confused over the idea of predestination, chosen, as well as foreknowledge, of which we're going to touch on here tonight. So we summed it up two weeks ago by saying that if you were in Christ before the foundation of the world, then you plainly fell out of Christ in Genesis 2 so you could get in Adam. And then, you know, later on you had to get into Christ in order to be saved. So if, if you were in Christ and out of Christ, in Adam, then out of Adam, back in Christ, who's to say you couldn't fall in and out for the rest of the time, amen? Uh, and that's an impossibility. It's an impossibility for a person to, number one, fall out of Christ. And if you could fall out of Christ... You could not be renewed once again in Christ. You're not coming in and out at your will or at someone else's will. All right? It's very, very simple. So the English clears 
uh, the, the funny Greek readers, guys, or the critical thinkers, and uh, the things that they find. They clear it up in 2 Timothy and chapter 1, verse 9, saying, Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us, watch this, in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now look in your book here, look in your verses in Ephesians chapter 1, Read with me verses 3 through 5. And the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Now, if you underscore, you write or circle or highlight in your Bible, there's a few phrases that you need to circle in those particular verses, and that is Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 5, we are predestined, uh, has predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. It's important to mark that uh, in your Bible. Same thing in verse 3, in heavenly places, in Christ. Okay, it's key because here's what we need to understand. As we read from the screen, 2 Timothy 1, 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, to the naked eye, you look at that and you go, wait a second here. Before the world began, okay. We see that in 2 Timothy, just like we see that in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, before the world began. So he, to the naked eye, Someone says, okay, that means I was in Christ Jesus, okay? Remember the word Christ means the anointed one. Christ Jesus, over here before the world began, therefore I was saved before I was lost. That makes sense, does it? You see, God gave us certain things, but these things were only given us in Christ Jesus, Therefore, in order to get them, the certain things that God has given us, you have to get in Jesus Christ. And the problem is, and we'll see this here in just a second, you can't get in Christ, okay, until he paid the price, amen. I want you to observe closely the similarity between the wording of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Matter of fact, I'll have you turn there. Hold your place in Ephesians, because we're going to look at Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy here, Timothy here just briefly. I know we have one verse up on the screen, but I want you to read these together. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 9 and 10. Learning to be a little careful with my pages. I actually pulled one out the top the other day. So to reread verse 9, but carry on the context in verse 10 in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible says, Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now, watch this, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. And has brought life and immortality, or brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we come back to our text, Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we see 
the similarity of the wording in all of these texts. The meaning here, guys, is very clear. Before the foundation of the world, and listen very carefully, this will sum this up, clear this up. Before the foundation of the world, God decreed that he would choose no one in this age to become holy and without blame unless they were in Christ Jesus. Okay? Jesus Christ was to be the conduit, if you will, through which all blessings were to be given. We see that in verse 10, actually, actually of what we just read, okay? Uh, very, very clear. And we can only be accepted in the beloved. That's in our final verse of what we're looking at here in this section, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. So I'll say that again, guys. God decreed that He would choose no one of this age to become holy and without blame, Unless they were in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ was to be the conduit through which all blessings would be given. We see that in verse 10, 2 Timothy 1. And we can only be accepted in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. So if God is going to accept us, it's going to be through who? The beloved. So you were not in the beloved before Genesis 1, 1. Nor was anyone else for that matter. Okay? So R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, John Piper, and all those other clown Calvinists were not and are not in, okay, Christ Jesus before Genesis 1. You were not in the Beloved. You were not in Christ before Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Nor was anyone else, okay? And don't let anybody ever teach you and tell you that. That is a falsehood and a lie. Jesus Christ had no body, okay, until Acts chapter 2. Now, when I say body, I don't mean his physical body, but the body of Christ, which is the church, all right, the church of God. John chapter 17 tells us in verse 23, it says, I in them and thou in me, and they may be, uh, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So, guys, if there was no body to get into, which is the body of Jesus Christ, of course, we know that can't happen without, <laughs> without the, uh, um, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the access point to be in Christ. That's the access point to receive all the blessings. All blessings are going to flow through and by Jesus Christ. And until he paid that price for sin, there was no access for a body to be formed as in the bride of Christ or the body of, of Christ. So therefore, the entire system, the entire Calvinistic system where it deals with election is null and void. Completely null and void. It should be ignored and it should be abolished from your mind. Okay? Predestination. So let's get to that, that part of it. Look back in Ephesians chapter 1 with me. So predestination. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the goodwill of his pleasure. Now, here's the deal. Predestination always follows foreknowledge. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I'll say that again. Predestination follows foreknowledge, all right? And the election, all right, always follows foreknowledge as well. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God. All right, so God's foreknowledge didn't elect you. God's predestination didn't elect you. All right, predestination always follows foreknowledge. Election follows foreknowledge. 1 Peter 1, 2 again, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, we're going to get into something that's going to be very touchy here, uh, especially with those who have studied Calvinism and those who may, uh, you, know, you know, lean toward that direction. It, it, my suggestion is this. If you're leaning in that direction, stop leaning and get up straight. Amen? That, that's what you should do. But what we need to understand is every time we find these words, foreknowledge, predestination, election, Outside of election in relation to Israel, which the majority of the time is the word elect is referring to the nation of Israel. So that's neither here nor there. But that's another thing that Calvinism does is it ties into replacement theology. Reformed theology is just a kissing cousin to replacement theology. Okay, And we covered that for many weeks here in a Bible study a couple years back. But Calvinist commentators, in order to bring forth their doctrine, their doctrine, not the biblical doctrine, they had to invent a new meaning for the word foreknowledge, okay? It had, in order for it to fit their narrative and their false doctrine. And the word, here's the word they invented. Efficient decree or efficient foreordination, which neither one of those are in the Bible, okay? There is no Greek text speaking of foreknowledge that has any such word or definition or meaning in it with those two phrases that they have created in order to fit the narrative of their false doctrine. This is a private interpretation and it's a, of men, and it's strictly, 100% anti-scriptural. So as we go back to verse 5, let's look at it once more. Having predestinated us unto the adoption, then it says, according to his, uh, according to his, good, according to his uh, good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. This is the root of Calvin's system. By coupling verse, uh, by that verse, uh, verse, uh, sorry, Romans 9, verse 16, and Romans 9, 18, the great superstructure of limited atonement, uh, irresistible grace, unconditional election, and total depravity were erected on those three verses, on that idea. The system contains one of the most remarkable theological contradictions known to man. The whole Aristotelian philosophy behind the theology, guys, is a distortion of a reasonable process. When you stop and you think about it, it is without reason, it's without common sense. It creates a God who is a sadist. You understand? The real Calvinist reasons the Bible like this. They say, I, can't understand, I cannot understand what God did. And why he did it, because he did it arbitrarily, according to the pleasures of his goodwill. That's what they get out of Ephesians chapter 5. So they say, I can't understand it. You know, God did it arbitrarily, so I can't understand it. They say that. And then, so number two, they say, since God does these things without my consent, he makes the decision for me. That's where they get Romans nine sixteen. Therefore, I have no will of my own before I'm saved. All right, that's what they say. They're building the building blocks. Therefore, God elects a certain number, 
regardless of, the, of their will in the matter and atones for this number and this number only since his will uh, would be frustrated if he atoned for any more than he is going to save. This is their rationalization. This is how they come up with limited atonement, irresistible grace, unconditional election, and total depravity. And so then they come to this point right here. It would be teaching salvation by works to assume God, uh, assume God had any basis for, chosen, for choosing the elect. Therefore, I leave it to him and simply shrug my shoulders and say, God had his own purpose, which no man can know, so look how humble I am. That's what that, this is their rationale. This is their thought process. Because they say they can't understand it. We can't understand uh, uh, you know, why he does what he does. He does these things without my consent, without my decisions. It would frustrate him if we had anything to do with being saved. So then I just put my hands up and go, okay, fine. But it falls apart when you begin to dissect it. If you cannot understand God's mind or his purpose before Genesis 1-1, how in the world can you teach that God decreed certain things before Genesis 1-1? They will tell you that the, the basis of their ideology and their doctrine is that they simply cannot understand the purposes and the will of God and why, so therefore, there has to be a limited atonement. There has to be an irresistible grace. Predestination actually means chosen from the foundation of the world to be saved in their mind. Okay? But yet, they can say that. They can say he decreed certain things before Genesis 1-1. But at the same time, they say they can understand his purposes before Genesis 1-1. All hyper-Calvinist guys profess to know exactly why the elect get saved. And the reprobate do not. But none of them connect. None of them will connect it with any type of the will. Although God places a whole emphasis on our will. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. John chapter 5, verse 40. Matthew 23, 37. Revelation 22, 17. Acts 7, 51. We could go on and on and on and on about the will that we have in our life. When it comes to accepting or rejecting salvation. You know, we'll go over here to Acts chapter 7 real quick. Acts 7 verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Hang on, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Something, we've got to back up a little bit, Mr. Calvinist. What about that irresistible grace? I had a Calvinist tell me one time to my face, that the Holy Spirit of God is so powerful, and He is, so big, and He is, that it would be impossible for you to resist once He impresses upon you to be saved. I said, hang on. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. I said, explain that verse to me. Well, that's not, don't give me well. That's a deep thought for a shallow mind. You know, that, that's exactly what you want. That, that's what we hear all that. Well, no. Tell me that right there. Their daddies and their daddies and their daddies resisted the Holy Ghost. But you're telling me it's irresistible grace. Explain that verse. That's your will right there in work. Right? Isaiah 14 is another one. We won't, we won't go to all these, but there is a will that is involved in accepting or rejecting uh, salvation. It's, uh, your free will is not a work. A work is baptism. 
We live in a country that performs 66,000 infant baptisms a year, and they put their stamp of approval for salvation on these little children, and it's a bunch of perverts doing it who wouldn't know the Lord Jesus Christ if he walked into their room tonight. Okay? That's, that's a works religion. Church of England is a works-based religion. It is nothing more but a cousin to the Catholic institution. Works-based religion. Okay? Campbellites, work-based religion. Baptismal regeneration, works-based religion. Okay? The Calvinists do not believe in a works-based religion. Okay, we'll give them that small part. But they swing the pendulum so far over here against works, now they say there is no will. Beloved, if there wasn't a will, we wouldn't be in the problem that we're in right now. Because freely, Adam and Eve took of that tree, took of that fruit they wasn't to take of. That's your free will right there, then and there. It's, it's quite simple here tonight. The truth is, guys, God knows who will accept or reject him. Why? Because he's omniscient. We can't get away from him. He is a sovereign God. But the sovereignty of God, guys, is, that's not to be afraid of. I know, I know a lot of times that we don't want to use the word sovereignty because we don't want to be labeled as a Calvinist or a hyper-Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist at all, okay? But I serve a sovereign God, amen? A supreme authoritative God. The truth is, God knows who will accept him. God knows who will reject him. Which really and truly, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I got this inside one of my sermons from March that I was working on today. That should make you love him even more. Think about it for just a second. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, loved you and I so much that he went to a cross, died a humiliating death, was bludgeoned and beaten to where he was unrecognizable as a human being. He hung on a cross all those hours. He died and gave it the ghost. Said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen? Knowing full well that the overwhelming majority of mankind was going to reject him. And he did it anyway. And Paul tells us in Hebrews, he says, he says that he died once and for all. Amen? Everyone. So yeah, God knows who's going to be saved. God knows who's going to reject him. And guys, those who will accept him are elected and predestinated to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Not predestined and elected to be saved. The conformity of the image of his son, that predestination, that election comes status post-salvation. Amen. Quite simple. And unto the adoption of the children. That's in our, our text, verse 5, that we're looking at Romans chapter 8 verse 29 very clear we read this here just a moment ago for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be what conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren first Peter verse verse uh, first Peter 1 verse 2 elect according to the foreknowledge of God the father through the sanctification of the spirit unto the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ grace to you and peace be multiplied so guys, so we, now that we eliminated the non-essentials as, as quickly as possible, Calvin's system is, a, uh, is an intricate mass of complexities. That's what it is. It's design, what it's designed to do, it's designed to wear out the reader so they just throw up their hands and go, okay, fine, I'll just take that. But, you know, when you begin to read and you study their system and how they break down Ephesians, it is, it, it's like looking at a physics science project. You know, they, they run all these different directions. 
They create all these little new words that are not biblical. They have all these private interpretations, and they, again, misappropriate Scripture to where the average person will just say, fine, I, I'll just, you know what, they got to be Man, it's so confusing, it's got to be right. Remember, God's not the author of confusion, man. How easy is John 3, 16 to understand? It didn't say God so loved in a certain few that he gave his only begotten son. It says God so loved the world. Amen? I, I, mentioned, I quoted it just a moment ago. He died once, and he died for all. Very simple. The root trouble is the denial of free will, guys. That's the ultimate problem. And it, it's when, where free will asks you and I to accept Jesus Christ. Flip over in your Bibles, John chapter 1, and you want to, you're going to want to mark this with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, or I'm sorry, 11 through 13. Now, we, we understand this is the opening chapter of the book of John, and, you know, John the Baptist is mentioned. This is the, the author here is the Apostle John, the, John the Beloved. But in John 1, verse 11 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many, watch this, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's your contingency which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to put this clearer, guys, Calvin denied the truth which an unsaved sinner could accept or reject Jesus Christ of his own free will, i.e., irresistible grace, unconditional election. Now, the problem, one of the massive problems in today's world that I, even though Calvin was teaching this, but I don't believe thought it out long enough, okay, was now that your new Calvinism, which is headed up really and truly by John Piper, is that since Jesus Christ died for all sin, and you're part of the election from the foundation of the world, and since rejecting Jesus Christ is a sin, then he even died for your rejection. Therefore, since you're chosen, you're going to heaven anyway, but you never have to make a confession. That's what New Calvinism teaches. And if you think about it, that's actually what Calvinism would teach. If you're chosen, why, make an, why do you have to make an election? I mean, a, a confession. If, you're, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if it's a done deal, why? They can't answer that with any type of validity or valid answer. I've heard them say, well, we just got to make people aware that they're the chosen. What do you mean make them aware that you're chosen? My job is to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And your job, my job is to plant, my job is to water, but God brings the increase, amen? Now, I'll tell you this, I can witness the gospel to you all day long. All day long, right? And if the Holy Spirit of God is not involved, you're not getting saved. That, that is true, all right? But if the Holy Spirit does get involved, and you're like, not right now, which has happened time after time after time after time. 
you can resist the Holy Spirit. And you may resist him unto your own death. So, this is where he's taken Ephesians 1, 5 and butchered it. And this is how we are teaching it the way it should be heard. So think about it like this, and we'll, we'll move on. So, as Calvin denied the truth that an unsaved sinner could accept or reject Jesus Christ's own free will, if the sinner was elected, he was overpowered and quickened by the Holy Spirit without the consent of his will, and if he was not one of the elected, listen carefully, he was dead anyway and could not, win, could not will to accept Jesus Christ if he decided to. You know what that means? There's an old saying about Calvin called Calvin's corpse. Calvin's corpse is the unelected, those who are not elected. So that means Calvin's corpse is held responsible for rejecting Christ, but he's not held responsible for accepting Christ. That, that's the crux of Calvinism. That's the the brutal truth of their doctrine is that those who will die and go to an eternity in hell's fire are being held accountable for rejecting him, but not held accountable to accept him. It's that simple tonight. So to finalize this truth, guys, we get into our final verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, which is uh, very clear. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The expression praise of and his glory is found here to mark God the Father. And again in verse 12, uh, we find it that it marks God the Son and yet again to mark God the Holy Spirit. And that's what, when you allow the scripture to answer the scripture, verse 12 says uh, that we should uh, be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit of God in those two verses being marked and listed and spoken about, Okay. Now, here's the key. It was God's grace which enabled man, woman, and child to first find Jesus Christ. That is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. All right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right? So it's God's grace, not his irresistible grace. It's God's grace that enables man, woman, and child to find Jesus Christ. And it is therefore God's grace which leads any man, woman, or child to accept him, Jesus Christ, to accept him. And Jesus Christ is the beloved. We go back there to verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You say, well, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. If you can, turn quickly to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we'll give you a nugget here. In your Bibles, if you underscore and you mark, go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, right out to the side of it, right Ephesians 1, 6. Verse 17 says, And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And yet again in chapter 12 of the book of Matthew, go there real quick. Chapter 12 and verse 18, and again I say this, out to the side your margin, right? Ephesians 1, 6. Matthew 12, 18 says, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will show judgment to the Gentiles. 
So we are not accepted, listen carefully, we're not accepted in the beloved. We're not accepted until we are in him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. And the interpretation that we've looked at over the past several weeks, guys, only came to us by Scripture answering Scripture. That's it. The best commentary on the Bible will always be the Bible. You know, I spent, I spent about an hour and a half today. I wasted an hour and a half. Let me go back. I wasted an hour and a half today in different Bibles. When I say all King James, but I mean, you know, different ones with different, uh, you know, notes and all this and that, books, trying to determine exactly how many days it was from Matthew 20, verse 19 to the crucifixion. And I say wasted because I don't have an answer and I don't think it's there, okay? So I think it's about a week, a week and a half. It's, it's a hand, here's what I put in my notes for the sermon in March, a handful of days. Because <laughs> I don't know. I want to know exactly how many days it was when Jesus Christ gave that third proclamation that he was going to go into Jerusalem and be, to see, be a, a betrayed and, and, and crucified and, and mocked and all this and that. But I couldn't find it. But, you know, the key was this. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm allowing Scripture to answer Scripture. I'm trying to search the Scriptures. I'm trying to find out, okay, this is his last trip through here. Now he's coming into Bethany. Now he's going into Jerusalem. Now he's the triumphant entry. All of those things. So I do have it down to uh, within a two-week period, or I mean, sorry, a seven-day period. But I'm saying, what, what I'm saying to you tonight, we've come, in, we've come to our conclusion in the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 1, and we've completely dismantled the Calvinistic theology. And you say, well, why are you spending so much time on that? Guys, let me tell you something. I, was, I had a brief uh, conversation with a pastor friend of mine in the States today. Calvinism, guys, it's got a foothold on the world today. And it's not just the chosen frozen anymore that's in the corner that are haughty and arrogant. It's everything from charismatics to Church of England, Church of Wales, I mean, all of them. I mean, you know, guys, it's rooted and grounded in people who, they, they still know very little about the Word of God. But the underlining doctrine they're holding to is that God chose me before the foundation of the world, and I'm going to heaven anyway. If there's no conviction, there's no confession. If there's no confession, there's no conversion. You understand? And I understand evil men will wax worse and worse and be deceived and, and deceive others. I understand that. But I'm telling you, man, the answers we have allows the Scripture to answer the Scripture. So it shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, you know, that's the proper biblical interpretation. So if you were the devil, all right, which is the root and ground of false doctrine, that includes Calvinism, Calvinism, Catholicism, all of it, if I'm going to take verse 4, verse 5, verse 6 in Ephesians chapter 1, it would be no surprise to find that every reviser since 1881 attacks this text like ravenous wolves in sheep clothing. Now, not that you would be tempted to use or read from a modern version. I hope that you don't. I mean, you've got enough sense, I would pray. But did you know tonight you were not Accept it in the beloved, according to the good news, the NLT, the Amplified New Testament, the NIV and all of its revisions, the ESV, the CSB, which I've told you the story I have with one of its editors at Starbucks, 
he lied to my face. And he sat down, he goes, what you reading over there? I said, I'm reading the Bible. Oh, yeah, but which one? I just kind of looked and I said, it's the King James Bible. Is that what you read exclusively? I said, yes, that's what I read. He said, well, let, let me talk to you about da 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 We got a new uh, version coming out. This is early 2000s. About 2001, I believe, when I was chatting with this guy. I gave him a, I gave him a gospel track, which had our church address on it. And uh, I said, well, sir, I said, before we go into any of this, I said, I, I just want to sit here and have my coffee and, and read, but I'm not going to be rude, you know. I said, I, I have a couple markers. Your excuse for revising a Bible is to make it easier to understand. Now, I know and you know that's not true. And he goes, well, I said, hey, we, come on. We, we've seen the flesh Kincaid readability scores. You and I know that's not the reason. He said, okay. I said, but Philippians 4.13, the simplest verse in all the Bible to ever understand. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Okay? I said, tell me why some NIV was very bad about this. Why take the name Christ out of there and put him? I said, that's a marker. He goes, oh, yeah, we wouldn't do that. Da, da, da. Went on down this line. I went, yeah, I understand. Sat there for 30 minutes for me and talked to me until I had to go. He says, I'm going to send you a copy. I said, okay, you send me a copy. They sent a New Testament out. A few weeks went by, shows up at the church. So what do you think I do? Open the package. Where do I turn? Philippians 4.13. I wanted to test his integrity. And sure enough, Jesus Christ, Christ was removed. So, you tell me. That's a CSB. The Phillips, you're not accepted in the beloved. NEB, the, the RV of 1881, the ASV of 1901, the newest ASAV of 1963, and then, of course, the revised standard version of 1946. All of those, you are not accepted in the beloved. Okay? So if the new Bibles are true revisions of the Holy Bible, how does one account for the fact that you are accepted in the Beloved in the 1525 Tyndale, in the 1539 Great Bible, in the 1560 Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible of 1568, and then, of course, the gold standard and finalized product, the AV of 1611? How do you answer that? Well, you answer it very clearly. The new Bibles are not revisions of the AV 1611. They are not revisions of the Greek. They are not from older and better manuscripts. They are revisions from Jerome's Latin Vulgate, which is a perverted manuscript. Paul said this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The scholars lied when they told you that the text from the ASV in 1901 was based on manuscripts unknown to the AV 1611 translators. They lied to you. The ASV manuscripts were in print in 1582 in the official, listen to this, Jesuit Bible of the Roman Catholic Church. So again, guys, just as Satan said, Yea, hath God said, there's only two people on the earth. They were given one law. Don't, don't eat of that tree. You can eat of every other single tree there is in this whole thing. Not that one. And so what does he do? He attacks the word of God. 
And so, beloved, why do we go through, why are we going through Ephesians like we are? Why are we going verse by verse? Um, it's one of the greatest books in the Bible. The knowledge that it has of not only the local church, the universal church, if you will, the operations of the church, the Christian standard, salvation by grace, all of the things that it has. But it's also one of the most attacked epistles in the Holy Scripture, and for a good reason. Because Satan's going to attack the real thing. Amen? So next time you're tempted to look at one of the perversions, maybe think, maybe I shouldn't. Amen? Let's bow our heads, if we will. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all you've done, for what you are. We pray now for your continual guidance. Bless us throughout the rest of the service this evening as we get into our prayer meeting here. Shortly, Lord, lead God and direct us, Father. And again, I just thank you for your pure, perfect word this evening. And I pray uh, that we lift it up on high, dear Lord. And I pray for any of those out there listening tonight, dear God, that the Holy Spirit would bear witness. They put aside their own private interpretations, Lord, whether it be from denomination or false doctrines. We pray that you would touch their heart to seek the truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.